May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. So excited to introduce you to Crystal Kent today. If you've never heard of her, simply put, she is on Team Fibro. She herself has fibromyalgia, and she's an advocate for those who have fibromyalgia. In part one of our conversation, we get to hear about Crystal's story and gain some insight and wisdom from what she has been through. But it was getting to the point where I couldn't sleep at night. Like the pain was keeping me up. And I I was noticing like having like symptoms of IBS. And then there would be times like the fatigue would be so pervasive. And, and all of a sudden, like I'd be in the middle of a conversation and it was like everything would go blank. And what about the stigma of fibromyalgia? There's even a bigger stigma. It It's, you know, the saying goes, suck it up and drive on. You know, you pick yourself up from your bootstraps. Crystal shares a positive experience she had with a physician relatively early in her history. So she was very proactive in ordering tests and looking, and she believed something else was wrong other than my injuries because I was exhibiting symptoms and and these things that didn't, it didn't match up with arthritis. It didn't match up with degenerated discs due to injury. What should physicians understand about their patients who have fibromyalgia? Understanding that this person's experience is very real. And just because you can't see something, it doesn't mean that it's not there. Like we can't see the wind, but we can feel it. Crystal shares some of her struggles. The pain was keeping me up at night. And then every so often, I didn't know it was brain fog, but it was like I was dropping details. And I I worked in social services and you're working with people, which means you're helping them and their life. And, And so you're impacting them as a whole person and everything that's connected to them in their life. And when you're dropping details, that could negatively impact your patients or your clients. And now time for the introduction. Welcome to the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz. Do you have fibromyalgia? Do you have a loved one who has fibromyalgia? Are you a physician who wants to learn more about fibromyalgia to help your patients get better? Well, then this podcast is for you. I am the author of the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain. I have been a physician for over 25 years. I am a pediatrician, an internist, which is a specialist for caring for adults in non-operative ways. I also am a board-certified lifestyle medicine physician and a diplomat of the Board of Clinical Lipidology. The goal of the podcast is to inform, inspire, and equip Thank you for joining me as we go on the bold journey from not just learning to live with, but actually reducing and even reversing fibromyalgia.
If you have any questions or topics you'd like discussed on a future podcast, email me at drmichaellens at gmail.com or click the link below. If you have the question, odds are hundreds of other people have the same question, so do not be afraid to send it. And if you can send it as a voicemail, that would be even better, as we can use that on a future podcast. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace a office visit with your physician or healthcare provider or health coach. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast, and it's a pleasure to have Crystal Kent as part of our podcast here to join us to help learn more about fibromyalgia and improve lives of those who are living with fibromyalgia, to also help people who have loved ones with fibromyalgia but don't themselves fully understand it or appreciate what it is about to help learn more about it, and also for physicians and other medical providers that they can learn more about what fibromyalgia is. So welcome to the show, Crystal. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Well, you had sent your um, background and resume in. There's a long history going with a lot of involvement with fibromyalgia and related issues. And you yourself have fibromyalgia and you've been living with it for a while. And we were talking before we went uh, on air here about your background that goes back many years. And I think for many people, just hearing other Stories of people who have fibromyalgia is important. For some people, they may not know anybody else who has fibromyalgia, and sometimes they may feel almost ashamed. Uh, There's a huge stigma. Fibromyalgia is one of the top two stigmatized problems. I take care of probably the number one of those two, Um, and hopefully what you've been doing with the Fibromyalgia Pain Chronicles, with other things like Fibromyalgia Care Society of America, and hopefully with this podcast help destigmatizing what fibromyalgia is and giving that these are real people with real pain, real suffering, real brain fog, real fatigue, but that there can be hope to help and get better and live better with that. Can you share your fibromyalgia history and story? And sometimes for some people, there are stories that go back with some uh, regional pain syndromes when they're younger, like painful periods or migraine headaches or tension headaches. And sometimes there's not much of an issue until there's an abrupt event in somebody's life. But tell us your history, if you don't mind, and uh, share with others what you went through in starting with your first uh, symptoms when you look back. And I'm sure sometimes when you think about it, you may not have connected some things. And then looking back, oh, there's these are the these these were important. I think a lot of this is like being a medical detective. You had to be a detective yourself and an advocate for yourself. But tell us your story. Um, yeah. So you know, I didn't. I know a lot of individuals uh, in the community um, or their family members. Like when they talk about their story, you know, they they trace back like some root symptoms going back to when they were kids or teens and. I personally didn't have that experience, but what happened with myself was after college, I had enlisted in the army and everything was okay. And I had, um, you know, I I had sustained a knee injury that uh, required surgery and it wasn't that that triggered my symptoms. It was like eight weeks after that surgery. I'm still recuperating. I'm at um, the army base at, uh, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. And I was in a, they call it a deuce and a half. 
or two and a half ton flatbed truck. Sometimes they call it a cattle car or cattle truck um, because they'll have like the canvas over it and it looks like kind of like a wagon. Um, and so eight weeks after my right knee surgery and I, I'm like still like in this like like soft leg cast, I'm on crutches and I'm in the back. And uh, despite like state and federal laws, when you're in the military, you don't have seatbelts. Sometimes you don't even have seats. So you're, you know, I was actually sitting on the floor of this um, big truck and the driver was not being like responsible, a younger kid. Um, and was kind of goofing around with the steering wheel, you know, just to kind of joke around and be funny, but then he lost control and, and this two and a half ton vehicle crashed into a ditch. So I ended up getting thrown around kind of like a, like a pinball in a pinball machine. And the irony of it is, is that I say I'm lucky because, you know, there is one, um, there was one soldier. I mean, he was 22 years old and both of his hips were busted. He had double hip replacement. Um, I, I mean, I, I ended up being hospitalized because my legs were swollen, my, my right leg. And what happened in the army hospital is they kept focusing on my leg, the right leg, because I had the surgery. And, I, and they were like, well, we think you have a blood clot. And I was from the surgery that was eight weeks prior. I was like, what part of this that uh, we were in a military vehicle crash do you not understand? And I'm having like my back hurts and my head hurts. And uh, I just I also think that uh, looking back because there seemed to be like a little bit of cognitive disconnect or kind of like the stop start and thought processes that I, I probably had a mild concussion that was undiagnosed. So yeah, I was in the hospital. They thought I, yeah, let's, before the test results came back, they were like, well, we think it's a blood clot uh, that you have going on. That's why you're, you know, it's swollen. And they started injecting me with blood thinners for like three days straight, four times a day. And then the test results came back. I didn't have a blood clot. And I was having you know, after that, I started having like these myriad of symptoms that didn't make sense or connect or, you know, with the injuries I sustained, like, I mean, I was, I was having like GI and, and like, now we know it's like IBS issues and I um, was having headaches and, and it was like my back hurt, my muscles in my legs, my quads, they were hurting and they were like, well, you had an injury. And I was like, yes, to the bone, like something else isn't right. It's not, it's not matching up. It's off. And, and they were kind of like the military. They, they throw what we call your ranger pills at you, like ibuprofen and water, ibuprofen and water, and, and they'll fix everything. Right. So, but they were basically throwing medications, um, it kind of was helping, but not really. Um, and because what got convoluted and confusing is that because of these injuries, I developed other issues. Like I, I ended up developing arthritis in my joints and, you know, so that made it that more difficult to come to a diagnosis of fibromyalgia because I, I did have these injuries that were like you could see them tangibly on x-rays and MRIs and all these other things. Um, but things over time, that that accident was in 2000. And over time, there was just these things like you would think that 
some of this stuff related to the injuries would subside, it would improve and it, it wasn't. And then I was having these other things that would crop up. Like back then I would say up until about 2012, um, the symptoms of my fibromyalgia would wax and wane. Like I would have these flare ups, but not like fibromyalgia patients talk about flare ups, like how intense they are, how they last. Like mine would be like, maybe a few days, maybe a week or, or two weeks. And I was still able to go to work. Like I, it wasn't pleasant, but it was still, um, it was a very uncomfortable, but manageable. I could still function what an average person can do. But um, like the first seven years, this was happening, waxing and waning. It was like, the fibromyalgia symptoms were flaring up and then going in remission, but it was getting to the point where I couldn't sleep at night. Like the pain was keeping me up. And I, I was noticing like having like symptoms of IBS. And then there would be times like the fatigue would be so pervasive and, and all of a sudden, like I'd be in the middle of a conversation and it was like, everything would go blank. And over time it, it, it started to become a little bit more noticeable detrimental at that point, no, but noticeable enough where I said something else was going on. So I was, um, with some self-advocating, um, I got to a rheumatologist in 2007 at Kaiser Permanente. From 2000 to 2012, how many different times did you seek medical help? Do you think for a symptom that was probably fibro related? It sounds like just to maybe recap, you had a -hmm. traumatic injury with soft tissue slash bone bruise, likely clearly multiple areas that were probably injured, probably had some swelling in response to Mm -hmm. getting banged around as a doctor that happens and you don't want somebody die of a blood clot and treating it for a couple of days isn't the worst thing. And then they go, well, actually it wasn't. Thankfully, that's good. It sounds like they thought, okay, take some Motrin, bad bruise, you know, sprained your ankle, rest within a few days, a couple of weeks, you should recover. Didn't really happen. You never had okay. that full recovery. Did you get discharged from the army because of pain issues? I've had a patient who had early discharge because of these, just a new patient of mine who was in uh, the Air Force and she had to leave, she had an honorable medical discharge. Did this lead to an earlier discharge? Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that is more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. I was medically discharged as well, but it wasn't for fibromyalgia. It was, I had the fibromyalgia, but I had these like concrete injuries, these tangible injuries that they could see. So it was because of that, like my knees and my hips initially. I mean, I, I developed like I have, it's, it's like I said, it's like once you injure something and you have multiple injuries, they kind of, it's like a dominoes effect. Um, and then you have fiber miles on top of it. Were you just never completely able to get to the level of what you needed to do in the army? When you're, when you're in the military and, and it, it, it's not always a very conducive place for healing. 
and your military commands, whatever branch you're in, they're, they're even less understanding than in the civilian world. There's even a bigger stigma. It, it's, you know, the saying goes, suck it up and drive on. You know, you pick yourself up from your bootstraps. But because of the multiple physical injuries, that's what I ended up being discharged for because they could see that. Um, and so the fibromyalgia went like untreated. It wasn't the other thing to understand is in the military, you're not necessarily seeing a doctor. Like you, you would be going to like the troop medical clinic and you're being seen by what would be like a medic or a combat medic. You're, you know, like an it, EMT. It takes, yeah. And it, it, it takes a lot to finally get to a, a licensed medical doctor and they might not even be necessarily the right doctor. You know, they kept sending me to orthopedics because I had all these injuries that affected my joints and bones. So that, but that wasn't the area. Um, I needed to be seen by someone who knew about fibromyalgia, but this is 2000 yeah. and it's in the military. It's like not exact, it, you know, it's like an urban myth, you know, like fibromyalgia in the sure. military. And it still is. It's still very, it's better now. But, you know, 21 years later, there's still a lot of issues. Um, and, and I'm sure you've heard this from your patients, the barriers in private health care. And in the military and VA healthcare system, it's it's like even worse. And I, I walk both sides of healthcare. I, I do go to the VA for some things and for all my specialized needs, I go to private healthcare. So I walk both sides of the line and I see there's so many parallels and it goes back to this idea um, or stigma or misunderstanding or stereotypes of what fibromyalgia is. Um, and I see that on both sides. But what happened was from after I was out of the military from like 2002 and 2007, um, my primary care physician in the private sector, and she was great. And she was also what, you know, an MDDO, meaning that she didn't just treat the symptoms, like trying to find the like root reason or cause of what's going on. So she was very proactive in ordering tests and looking, and she believed something else was wrong other than my injuries, because I was exhibiting symptoms and, and these things that didn't it didn't match up with arthritis it didn't match up with degenerated discs due to injury i am treated differently because when i present to a doctor and i say well this is my history and all the injuries and this triggered the fibromyalgia their approach i know is very different to someone who didn't have that history of all those injuries mm -hmm. sure and, and that's a huge disconnect and and having to kind of bridge that gap and understanding that you know the way you treat me is how you should treat every patient that walks in with that understanding. I wouldn't even say understanding. I would say belief. Yeah. Believing that person's, uh, that individual's personal experience is real and validating it. Even when everything comes back negative on tests and stuff, understanding that this person's experience is very real. And just because you can't see something, it doesn't mean that it's not there. Like we can't see the wind, but we can feel it. Yeah. So the doctor, you had a good doctor who was listening and caring and 
try, empathetic as best she could, mm-hmm. but was still the, as you talk, uh, I finished residency in the year 2000. I, on my own, had done some research and heard the word. I knew I took care of lots of people who probably had it, but didn't know. And similar, mm-hmm. a patient like you back in 2002 or 2007, it might, it would have probably been in a similar kind of situation um, where I'm not sure what to do, uh, how to treat mm-hmm. you and would have wanted to help. And um, so, but that's for five years. And then mm-hmm. what happened after 2007 to 2012, so my PCP, like I said, she was awesome. Um, and she moved out of state, which was very heartbreaking for me because she was very awesome. She worked to investigate with me and treated me like an equal partner. Um, and she said, this is outside of my depth. I know something's wrong. I don't know. And she sure. sent me um, to some specialists. One of them was a rheumatologist over at um, Kaiser Permanente. And, um, he was great. He, he, you know, reading everything, he's like, I think you have fibromyalgia syndrome. I'm like, okay. And he said that, um, I think your case of fibromyalgia, it, 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 it flares up and then it goes in remission for a while, sometimes for months, sometimes, you know, a year, but then it flares up and then it's compounded with your injuries. And, um, so, He was very, um, he knew about fibromyalgia, but what options were available for treatment? Um, Lyrica had not, Lyrica was one of the first medications that were FDA approved to treat fibromyalgia, but it had not, um, and it it came out in 2007, but I was seeing this um, rheumatologist, literally it was like January 5th of um, 2007. So Lyrica wasn't available quite yet. But he, you know, he said, well, you know, get rest and eat healthy and and be physically active. He's like, and you're already doing those things. And I think that's why your fibromyalgia goes into remission. And then he handed me this trifold like pamphlet and sent me on my merry little way. But the problem was I, you know, over time it, it was becoming more pervasive, more, it was interfering more. It was, the pain was keeping me up at night. And then Every so often, I didn't know it was brain fog, but it was like I was dropping details. And I I worked in social services and you're working with people, which means you're helping them and their life. And and so you're impacting them as a whole person and everything that's connected to them in their life. And when you're dropping details, that could negatively impact your patients or your clients. So... um, you know, 2007 to 2010 really started to show like a market, a marked like regression or, or progression, um, where I was starting to have symptoms more routinely. Um, these flare-ups were lasting for longer periods. Fibromyalgia started interfering, uh, with some of my internal bodily systems, one of which being my gallbladder, and it wasn't contracting right, and I had to get it taken out in 2010. From 2000, and I, I'm not seeing a specialist because it was fibromyalgia, you know, syndrome. There wasn't really many options, and it was all like lifestyle management to manage the symptoms. And I was doing everything right, but it was getting worse. And like from 2010 to 2012 is when I really did become like my own investigative, um, patient detective and really started, um, 
going and pulling medical journals and pulling actual research studies, not the magazines that surmise these studies or the abstracts, like actually reading this information. And I, I did all this research. One thing I found is that fibromyalgia was actually documented in medical literature in the 1590s. Then when you fast forward to 1800s, it was when um, the uh, French surgeon, I believe, I don't remember his name, but he identified the tender points. And then I was like, okay, so the late 1590s to like the 1880s. And then after that, it was just, there was nothing there. It was so hard to find stuff. It wasn't until the 1990s that you started to see an interest in fibromyalgia. So after going and researching, um, I finally figured out, okay, I'm, I basically just have to find a doctor that believes fibromyalgia is real, is proactive, can think outside the box with my, with me and treat me as a equal partner in my treatment team so that we could tackle this together. 